Section three of Catherine Lauderdale, Volume two, by Francis Marion Crawford. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Lynn Thompson. Chapter eighteen. Ralston was in a thoroughly bad humour when he reached his club. The absurdity of a marriage, which was practically no marriage at all, had been thrust upon him on the very first day, and he felt that he had been led into a romantic piece of folly, which could not possibly produce any good results, either at the present time or afterwards. He was as properly and legally the husband of Catherine as the law and the church could make him, and yet he could not even get an interview of a quarter of an hour with his wife. He could not count, with certainty, upon seeing her anywhere, except at such a public place as the ball they were both going to that night, under the eyes of all New York society, so far as it existed for them. The position was ludicrous, or would have been, had he not been the principal actor in the comedy. He was sure, too, that if Catherine had got any favourable answer from their uncle Robert, she would have said at least a word to this effect— even while she was in the act of thrusting him from the door. Two words, all right, would have been enough, but she had only seemed anxious to get rid of him as quickly as possible, and he felt that he was not to be blamed for being angry. The details of the situation, as she had seen it, were quite unknown to him. He was not aware that Charlotte Slayback had been at luncheon, and had stayed until the last minute, nor that Catherine had really done everything in her power to make her mother go upstairs. The details, indeed, taken separately, were laughable in their insignificance, and it would hardly be possible for Catherine to explain them to him, so as to make him see their importance when taken all together. He was ignorant of them all, except of the fancied fact that Mrs. Lauderdale had been at the window of the library. Catherine had told him so, and had believed it herself, as was natural. She had not had time to explain why she believed it, and he would be more angry than ever if she ever told him that she had been mistaken, and that he might just as well have come and stayed as long as he pleased. He knew that a considerable time must have elapsed between the end of luncheon and his arrival at the door of the house. He supposed that Catherine had been alone with her mother and grandfather as usual, and he blamed her for not exerting a little tact in getting her mother out of the way, when she must have had nearly an hour in which to do so. He went over and over all that he knew of the facts, and reached always the same conclusion. Catherine had not taken the trouble, and had probably only remembered when it was too late that he was to come at three o'clock. It must not be supposed that Ralston belonged to the class of hasty and capricious men, who hate the object of their affections as soon as they are in the least annoyed with anything she has done, or who, at all events, act as though they did. Ralston was merely in an excessively bad temper with himself, with everything he had done, and with the world at large. Had he received a note from Catherine at any time later in the afternoon, telling him to come back, he would have gone instantly, with just as much impatience as he had shown at three o'clock when he had reached Clinton Place a quarter of an hour before the appointed time. He would probably not have alluded, nor even have wished to allude, to his summary dismissal at his first attempt, but he would come. 
He satisfied himself of that, for he sent a message from his club to his home, directing the servant to send on any note which might come for him, and, on repeating the message an hour later, he was told that there was nothing to send. So he sat in the general room at the club, downstairs, and turned over a newspaper half a dozen times without understanding a word of its contents, and smoked discontentedly, but without ceasing. At last, by a mere accident, his eye fell upon the column of situations offered and wanted, and, with a sour smile, he began to read the advertisements. That sort of thing suited his case at all events, he thought. He was very soon struck by the balance of numbers in favour of the unemployed, and by the severe manner in which those who offered situations spoke of thorough knowledge and of certificates of service. It did not take him long to convince himself that he was fit for nothing but a shoe-black or a messenger-boy, and he fancied that his age would be a drawback in either profession. He dropped the paper in disgust at last, and was suddenly aware that Frank Minor was seated at a small table opposite to him, but on the other side of the room. Minor looked up at the same moment, from a letter he was writing, his attention being attracted by the rustling of the paper. "'Hello, Jack!' he cried cheerily. "'I knew those were your legs all the time.' "'Why didn't you speak, then?' asked Ralston, rather coldly, and looking up and down the columns of the paper he had dropped upon his knee. "'I don't know. Why should I?' Minor went on with his letter, having evidently interrupted himself in the midst of a sentence. Ralston wished something would happen. He felt suddenly inclined to throw something at Minor, who generally amused him when he talked, but was clearly very busy, and went on writing as though his cheerful little life depended on it. But it was not probable that anything should happen just at that hour. There were three or four other men in different parts of the big room, writing or reading letters. There were doubtless a few others somewhere in the house, playing cards or drinking a quiet afternoon cocktail. It was a big club, having many rooms, but Ralston did not feel inclined to play poker, and he wished not to drink, if he could help it, and Minor went on writing, so he stayed where he was, and brooded over his annoyances. Suddenly Minor's pen ceased, with a scratch and a dash, audible all over the room, and he began to fold his letter. "'Come and have a drink, Jack,' he called out to Ralston as he took up an envelope. "'I've earned it, if you haven't.' "'I don't want to drink,' answered Ralston, gloomily, and, out of pure contrariety, he took up his paper again. Minor looked long and steadily at him, closed his letter, put it into his pocket, and crossed the room. "'I say, Jack,' he said, in an absurdly solemn tone, "'are you ill, old man?' "'Ill? No. Why? Never was better in my life. Don't be an idiot, Frank.' and he kept his paper at the level of his eyes. "'There's something wrong, anyhow,' said Minor, thoughtfully. "'Never knew you to refuse a drink before. I'll be damned, you know.' "'I haven't a doubt of it, my dear fellow. I always told you so.' "'For a gentle and unassuming manner, I think you take the cake, Jack,' answered Minor, without a smile. "'What on earth is the matter with you? Let me see.' You've either lost money, or you're in love, or your liver's out of order. 
or all three and if that's it i pity you i tell you there's nothing the matter with me cried ralston with some temper why do you keep bothering me i merely said i didn't want to drink can't a man not be thirsty confound it all i'm not obliged to drink if i don't want to oh well don't get into a fiery green rage about it jack i'm thirsty myself and i didn't want to drink alone only don't go west of mains so long as this lasts they're prohibition there you know don't try it jack you'll come back on ice by the next train i'm going to stay here answered ralston without a smile go ahead and get your drink all right if you won't you won't i know but when you're scratching round and trying to get some sympathetic person like abraham and lazarus to give you a glass of water think of what you've missed this afternoon dives said ralston savagely is the only man ever mentioned in the bible as having asked for a glass of water and he's where he ought to be that's an old cold chestnut retorted minor turning to go but not really in the least annoyed at that moment a servant crossed the room and stood before ralston minor waited to see what would happen half believing that ralston was not in earnest but had surreptitiously touched the electric bell on the table at his elbow with the intention of ordering something mr lauderdale wishes to speak to you at the telephone sir said the servant the man's expression betrayed his respect for the name and for a person who had a telephone in his house an unusual thing in new york it was the sort of expression which the waiters at restaurants put on when they present to the dinner a dish of terrapin or a canvas back duck or open a very particularly old bottle of very particularly fine wine quite different from the stolid look they wear for beef and table claret which mr lauderdale asked ralston with a sudden frown mr alexander lauderdale jr i don't know sir the gentleman's at the telephone sir this seemed to be added as a gentle hint not to keep anyone of the name of lauderdale waiting too long ralston rose quickly and minor watched him as he passed out with long strides and a rather anxious face wondering what could be the matter with his friend and somehow connecting his refusal to drink with the summons to the instrument then minor followed slowly in the same direction with his hands in his pockets and his lips pursed as though he were about to whistle he knew the man well enough to be aware that his refusal to drink might proceed from his having taken all he could stand for the present and ralston's ill temper inclined minor to believe that this might be the case ralston rarely betrayed himself at all until he suddenly became viciously unmanageable a fact which made him always the function of a double quantity as minor who had once learned a little mathematics was fond of expressing it the little man was essentially sociable and though he might want the very small and mild drink he was fond of ever so much he preferred if possible to swallow it in company instead of ringing therefore he strolled away in search of another friend as luck would have it he almost ran against walter crowdie who was coming towards him but looking after ralston as the latter disappeared at the other end of the hall crowdie seemed excessively irritated about something confound that fellow he exclaimed 
giving vent to his feelings as he turned and saw Minor close upon him. "'Who, me?' inquired the little man with a laugh. "'Everybody's purple with rage in this club today. I'm going home.' "'You? No. Is that you, Frank? No. I mean that everlasting Rolston.' "'Oh, what's he done to you? What's the matter with Rolston?' "'Drunk again, I suppose,' answered Crowdie. "'But I wish he'd keep out of my way when he is. "'Runs into me, treads on both my feet, "'with his heels, I believe, "'though I don't understand how that's possible, "'pushes me out of the way and goes straight on without a word. "'Confound him, I say. "'You used to be able to swear beautifully, Frank. "'Can't you manage to say something?' "'At any other time, oh, yes.' "'But you better get Rolston himself to do it for you. "'I'm not in it with him today. "'He's been giving me the life to come, hot, "'and Abraham and Isaac and Lazarus and the rich man, "'and the glass of water, all in a breath. "'Go and ask him for what you want.' "'Oh, then he is drunk, is he?' asked Crowdie, "'with a disagreeable sneer on his red lips. "'I suppose so,' answered Minor, quite carelessly. "'At all events, he refused to drink. "'That's always a bad sign with him.' "'Of course, that makes it a certainty. "'Gad, though, it does make him light on his feet, "'if he happens to tread on yours. "'It serves me right for coming to the club at this time of day. "'Perdition on the fellow! "'I've got on new shoes, too.' "'What are you two squabbling about?' inquired Hamilton Bright, "'coming suddenly upon them out of the cloakroom. "'We're not squabbling. "'We're cursing Ralston,' answered Minor. "'I wish you'd go and look after him, Ham,' said Crowdie to his brother-in-law. "'He's just gone off there. "'He's as drunk as the Dickens and swearing against everybody "'and treading on their toes in the most insolent way imaginable. "'Get him out of this, can't you? "'Take him home. You're his friend. "'If you don't, he'll be smashing things before long.' "'Is he as bad as that, Frank?' asked Bright gravely. "'Where is he?' "'At the telephone. I don't know. "'He trod on Crowdie's feet, and Crowdie's perfectly wild and exaggerates.' "'But there's something wrong, I know. "'I think he's not exactly screwed, but he's screwed up. "'Well, several pegs by the way he acts. "'They call drinks pegs somewhere, don't they? "'I wanted to make a joke. "'I thought it might do Crowdy good.' "'Well, it's a very bad one,' said Bright. "'He's at the telephone, you say?' "'Yes, the man said Mr. Lauderdale wanted to speak to him. "'He didn't know which Mr. Lauderdale.' "'But it's probably Alexander the Safe, and if it is, there's going to be a row over the wires. "'When Jack's shut up there alone in the dark, in the soundproof box with the receiver under his nose, "'and Alexander at the other end, if the wires don't melt, that's all. "'And Alexander's a metallic sort of man. "'I should think he'd draw the lightning right down to his toes.' "'At that moment, Ralston came swinging down the hall at a great pace,' pale and evidently under some sort of powerful excitement he nodded carelessly to the three men as they stood together and disappeared into the cloakroom bright followed him but ralston with his hat on his head down and struggling into his overcoat rushed out as bright reached the door and ran into the latter precisely as he had run into crowdie bright was by far the heavier man however and ralston stumbled at the shock Bright caught him by one arm and held him a moment. "'All right, Ham!' he exclaimed. "'Everybody gets in my way today. "'Let go, man. I'm in a hurry.' "'Wait a bit,' said Bright. "'I'll come with you.' "'No, you can't. Let me go, Ham. "'What the deuce are you holding me for?' 
he shook bright's arm angrily for between the message he had received and the obstacles he seemed to meet at every step he was by this time very much excited bright thought he read certain well-known signs in his face and believed that he had been drinking hard and might get into trouble if he went out alone for ralston was extremely quarrelsome at such times and was quite capable of hitting out on the slightest provocation and had been in trouble more than once for doing so as bright was well aware i'm going with you jack whether you like it or not said the latter with mistaken firmness in his good intentions you're not i can tell you answered ralston in a lower tone just let me go or there'll be trouble here he was furious at the delay but bright's powerful hand did not relax its grasp on his arm jack old man said bright in a coaxing tone just come upstairs for a quarter of an hour and get quiet oh that's it is it you think i'm screwed i'm not let me go once twice ralston's face was now white with anger the unjust accusation was the last drop he was growing dangerous but bright in the pride of his superior strength still held him firmly take care said ralston almost in a whisper i've counted two he paused a full two seconds three there you go the other men saw his foot glide forward like lightning over the marble pavement instantly bright was thrown heavily on his back and before he could even raise his head ralston was out of the door and in the street crowdie and minor ran forward to help the fallen man as they had not moved from where they had stood a dozen paces away but bright was on his feet in an instant pale with anger and with the severe shock of his fall he turned his back on his companions at once pretending to brush the dust from his coat by the bright light which fell through the glass door frank minor stood near him very quiet his hands in his pockets as usual and a puzzled look in his face look here bright he said gravely watching bright's back this sort of thing can't go on you know bright said nothing but continued to dust himself though there was not the least mark on his clothes upon my word observed crowdie walking slowly up and down in his ungraceful way i think we'd better call a meeting at once and have him requested to take his name off if that isn't conduct unbecoming a gentleman i don't know what is no said minor that wouldn't do it would stick to him for life all the same bright this is a club it isn't a circus and this sort of horseplay is just a little too much why don't you turn round there's no dust on you they keep the floor of the arena swept on purpose when ralston's about but it's got to stop it's got to stop right here bright's big shoulders squared themselves all at once and he faced about apparently quite cool again i say he began did anyone see that but you two he looked up and down the deserted hall no wait a bit though hello where are all the hall servants there ought to be two of them they must have just gone off there they are on the other side of the staircase robert and you whatever your name is come here the two servants came forward at once they had retired to show their discretion and at the same time to observe what happened the moment they had seen bright catch ralston's arm look here said bright to them if you say anything about what you saw just now you'll have to go do you understand 
as we shan't speak of it we shall know that you have if it's talked about that's all right you can go now i just wanted you to understand the two servants bowed gravely they respected bright and like all servants they worshipped ralston there was little fear of their indiscretion bright turned to crowdie and minor if anybody has anything to say about this i have he said i'm the injured person if anyone is and of course i shall say nothing and i'll beg you to say nothing either of course if he ever falls foul of you you're free to do as you please and of course you might if you chose bring this thing before the committee but i know you won't speak of it either of you we've all been screwed once or twice in our lives i suppose as for me i'm his friend and he didn't know what he was doing he's a deuced good fellow at heart but he's infernally hasty when he's had too much that's all right isn't it i can trust you can't i oh yes as far as i'm concerned said crowdie speaking first if you like that sort of thing i've nothing to say you're quite big enough to take care of yourself i hope hester won't hear it she wouldn't like the idea of her brother being knocked about without defending himself i don't particularly like it myself that's nonsense walter and you know it is answered bright curtly and he turned to minor with a look of inquiry all right ham said the little man i'm not going to tell tales if you aren't all the same i don't want to seem squeamish and old maidish and a frump generally but i don't think i do remember just such a thing happening in any club i ever belonged to oh well don't let's stand here talking ourselves black in the face he's gone this time and he'll never find his way back if he once gets round the corner you'll hear tomorrow that he's been polishing tiffany's best window with a policeman that's about his pressure when he gets a regular jag on as for me i've been trying to get somebody to have a drink with me for just three quarters of an hour and so far my invitations have come back unopened i suppose you won't refuse a pilot's two fingers after the battle ham what's a pilot's two fingers asked bright i'll accept your hospitality to that modest extent anyhow show us it's this said minor holding up his hand with the forefinger and little finger extended and the others turned in the little finger is the bottom he explained and you don't count the others till you get to the forefinger and just a little above the top of that you can see the whiskey understand what will you have crowdie a drop of maraschino thanks said the painter maraschino minor made a wry face at the thought of the sugary stuff all right then come in they all went back together into the room in which ralston and minor had been sitting before the trouble began crowdie and his brother-in-law were not on very good terms the former behaved well enough when they met but bright's dislike for him was not to be concealed which was strange considering that bright was a sensible and particularly self-possessed man who was generally said to be of a gentle disposition inclined to live harmoniously with his surroundings he soon went away leaving the artist and the man of letters to themselves minor did not like crowdie very much either but he admired him as an artist and had the faculty of making him talk if ralston had really been drinking he could not have been in a more excited state than when he left the club leaving his best friend stretched on his back in the hall he was half conscious of having done something which would be considered wholly outrageous among his associates and among gentlemen at large 
The fact that Bright was his distant cousin was hardly an excuse for tripping him up, even in jest. And if the matter were to be taken in earnest, Bright's superior strength would not excuse Ralston for using his own far superior skill and quickness, in the most brutal way, and on rather slender provocation. No one but he himself, however, even knew that he had been making a great effort to cure himself of a bad habit, and that although it was now Thursday, he had taken nothing stronger than a little weak wine and water, and an occasional cup of coffee since Monday afternoon. Bright could therefore have no idea of the extent to which his accusation had wounded and exasperated the sensitive man, rendered ten times more sensitive than usual by his unwanted abstention. Ralston, however, did not enter into any such elaborate consideration of the matter as he hurried along, too much excited just then to stop and look for a cab. He was still whole-heartedly angry with Bright, and was glad that he had thrown him, be the consequences what they might. If Bright would apologise for having laid rough hands on him, Ralston would do as much, not otherwise. If the thing were mentioned, he would leave the club, and frequent another to which he belonged. Nothing could be simpler. But he had received a much more violent impression than he fancied, and he forgot many things, forgetting even for a moment where he was going. Passing an uptown hotel on his way, he entered the bar by sheer force of habit, the habit of drinking something whenever his nerves were not quite steady. He ordered some whiskey, still thinking of Bright, and it was not until he had swallowed half of it that he realized what he was doing. With a half-suppressed oath, he set down the liquor unfinished, dropped his money on the metal table, and went out, more angry than ever. Realizing that he was not exactly in a condition to talk quietly to anyone, he turned into a side street, lit a strong cigar, and walked more slowly for a few minutes, trying to collect his thoughts and at last succeeding to a certain extent, aided perhaps by the tonic effect of the spoonful of alcohol he had swallowed. The whole thing had begun in a very simple way, the gradual increase of tension from the early morning until towards evening had been produced by small incidents following upon the hasty marriage ceremony, which, as has been said, had produced a far deeper impression upon him than upon Catherine herself. The endless hours of waiting, the solitary luncheon, the waiting again, Catherine's summary dismissal of him, almost without a word of explanation, then more waiting, and Minor's tiresome questions, and the sudden call to the telephone, and stumbling against Crowdy, and all the rest of it, small things, all of them, after the marriage itself, but able to produce at least a fit of extremely bad temper by their cumulative action upon such a character. Ralston was undoubtedly a dangerous man to exasperate at five o'clock on that Thursday afternoon. He had been summoned by Robert Lauderdale himself, and this had contributed not a little to the haste which had brought him into collision with Bright. The old gentleman had asked him to come up to his house at once. John had said that he would come immediately, but on asking a further question, he found the communication closed. 
it immediately struck him that Catherine had not found uncle robert at home in the morning that she had very possibly gone to him again in the afternoon and that they were perhaps together at that very moment and had agreed to send for ralston in order to talk matters over it was natural enough considering his strong desire to see Catherine before the ball and his anxiety to hear robert lauderdale's definite answer upon which depended everything in the immediate present and future that he should not have cared to waste time in exchanging civilities in the hall of the club with bright whom he saw almost every day or with crowdie whom he detested the rest has been explained nor was it at all unnatural that the three men should all have been simultaneously deceived into believing that he had been drinking more than was good for him a man who is known to drink habitually can hardly get credit for being sober when he is perfectly quiet never when he is in the least excited ralston had been more than excited he had been violent he had disgraced himself and the club by a piece of outrageous brutality if any one but bright had suffered by it there would have been a meeting of the committee within twenty-four hours and john ralston's name would have disappeared from the list of members for ever it was fortunate for him that bright chanced to be his best friend ralston scarcely realized how strongly the man was attached to him embittered as he was by being constantly regarded as the failure of the family he could hardly believe that any one but his mother and Catherine cared what became of him a young man who has wasted three or four years in fruitless if not very terrible dissipation whose nerves are a trifle affected by habits as yet by no means incurable and who has had the word failure daily branded upon him by his discriminating relatives easily believes that for him life is over and that he can never redeem the time lost for he is constantly reminded of this by persons who should know better and if he is somewhat melancholic by nature he is very ready to think that the future holds but two possibilities the love of woman so long as it may last and an easy death of some sort when there is no more love that was approximately john ralston's state of mind as he ascended the steps of robert lauderdale's house on that thursday afternoon End of chapter 18